This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Whether you're watching uh, online or whether you're uh, watching this video in the Outreach Center, we're glad that you're here today. And also, I would like to encourage you that you might want to check out the Schweitzer app, and there's a sermon notes button. You can go there. And it helps you to kind of follow along with what we got to talk about today in terms of treasure. We're in the middle of this series of messages on the five T's of transformation. Today we talk about treasure. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But what is your treasure? What is my treasure? What is it that we really treasure in our hearts. When I was in my 20s, I was a single guy, and I always thought that my treasure was finding her, finding the woman that I would spend the rest of my life with, having a family, being a good husband, being a good father, and then Susan walks into my life, and we have three wonderful kids, and we have a great grand, uh, great, a really good grandson, what I'm trying to say here, and a son-in-law we're very fond of, and life is good. But what I'm about to say might be under, misunderstood. And I want you to know that Susan has checked this out already about what I'm about to say. I'm Susan Cassidy, and I approve this message. So there you have it. But Susan is not the treasure. My family is not the treasure. I value them. I treasure them in my heart, but they're not the treasure. When I was 45 years of age, I had an affair with a car. Just seeing if you were listening. It was an Intrigue Oldsmobile. It was a 99 Intrigue. For an Oldsmobile, it could really get down the road. It's a twin cam engine. It, uh, it had a sunroof. It had all the electronics. It was fresh off the, the showroom floor. And man, it had a passing gear that when you got out on the road, it was sweet. But I was amazed at how quickly I realized that wasn't the treasure either. And in life, in ministry, I've been blessed to be a pastor of many kinds of congregations. I always thought, wouldn't it be great to be a part of a large congregation? Wouldn't it be great to be a pastor of a church that was dynamic, that was big enough, and had the resources enough to really impact the community in a big way? And Schweitzer came along, and this congregation is doing more in ministry and in life for this community, more dynamic than I ever dreamed or imagined when I came here over 16 years ago. But this is not the treasure. And friends, I don't know who you think the treasure is in your life, but it's not a person, it's not a thing, it's not a career advancement, it's not a position. The treasure is God. God is the treasure. And Jesus wants us to understand this, that when we discover that God is the treasure, all our relationships with people and places and things fall into their proper order, and life becomes rich and full. And so Jesus wants us to understand that God is the treasure. And he would oftentimes compare the kingdom of God, the reign of God, 
with all these other things that we tend to treasure in life. He would say, well, the kingdom of God is like a seed that wants it sown into the soil and becomes the greatest of all plants. Or the kingdom of God is like a net full of fish to fishermen. Or he would say, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. Or the kingdom of God is like a big wedding feast. It is something that bursts and dances with joy and vibrancy. My favorite one, though, then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. And whether you stumble on that treasure or whether you've been seeking that treasure, once you find the treasure, go sell everything else you got to buy the one field. Now, it's not like you can buy this with any money because the treasure is free. God is free. And yet, ultimately, for God to take possession of our life, for God to really be the treasure of our life, he ultimately requires everything. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the more that God is captive of our heart, the more we are free. So we're going to look today at some words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, in Jesus' teaching about how God is our treasure as he compares it to the treasures of this world. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the gospel today. So these are the words of Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus continues with these interesting words. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? We'll come back to those words later in the message. And then he says, no one. And by the way, in the Greek, do you know what no one means? It means no one. <laughs> no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Please have a seat. So Jesus strikes this great contrast, doesn't he, between treasuring God and treasuring wealth. It's interesting that you can be a person that is very wealthy, but you recognize that that is not the treasure. You can be a person that is rather poor, and you can make wealth your treasure. But regardless of where we are on the financial spectrum, we realize that the chief rival God in our life can be our thoughts about wealth and consumption and possessions. And so Jesus says in a different place, be 
very careful. Be very careful. For life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And so what is your treasure today? What is it that you prize the most in your life? And I got to ask the question, what would a life look like that was fully possessed by God? What if God took over our life? And we recognized that God was really the treasure in the field, and we sold out. We sold it all out for him. What would a life look like? You know, in the Bible, there's all kinds of stories of all kinds of different people that follow God. And it's interesting to me that the Bible's so truthful about so many of their lives where they're up and down and they're in and out. Sometimes they're faithful, sometimes they're not. They have the same kind of human struggle that we all have. They are a mixed bag in many cases. But there are few individuals that rise to the top of people that just seem to have got it. They got it from the beginning, and they kept getting it, and they kept living it. And one of those guys is a, name, a guy by the name of Barnabas. So I want to talk with you just for a little bit about this guy named Barnabas. Let's look at some scripture from Acts 4, the first time that Barnabas steps into the biblical story. We're told that there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So his real name is not Barnabas, but what? Joseph. And he's given the nickname by his friends of faith, Barnabas. Now, if the people that you hang out with the most, your people that you do life with, your people and your friends in faith, if they were to give you a nickname, what would they call you? Based on your actions, based on your behavior. You don't have to answer that out loud. <laughs> but what would be the nickname that they would call you? The nickname they gave Joseph was Barnabas because he was a son of encouragement. What were the ways that this guy encouraged others? Let's take a quick look at Scripture. Yes, he sold a field that he owned, and he gave it all, laying it at the church leader's feet, giving it all up with no strings attached. So he was generous. He encouraged people with his generosity. He brought a suspicious convert named Paul who was persecuting the church. And when no one else believed that Paul really was now a believer, who was the one guy that came to the church leaders and says, this guy is legit? It was Barnabas. And after bringing many people to the Lord, it's Barnabas that has the humility to pull Paul away from Tarsus because he knows that the job is above him and he's not about his own self-glorification and he says, Paul, come here and help me and let's do this together. It was Barnabas. And when the Holy Spirit is leading the church in Antioch to send out missionaries, who's set apart but Paul and Barnabas? And when John Mark, a young guy in the faith, abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, 
And Paul says, enough of that guy. Who's the one guy that says to Paul and to others, you know what? Everybody deserves a second chance. It's Barnabas. Now, friends, how many of you have ever heard of a church named St. Barnabas? <laughs> I've heard of St. Paul. I've heard of St. Peter. You can go to the great cathedrals in Europe, and you'll find names named after them. But in my mind, St. Barnabas is the dude. St. Barnabas was the guy that if there had not been a Barnabas, there had never been a Paul. And so I've got to ask you, who's been Barnabas for you? I don't know what a self-made man looks like or a self-made woman looks like, but you're not looking at one. I mean, I'm here today because there were people in my childhood that believed in me, a little country church of people that just loved on me and spoke faith into my life. There was C.R. Fritz, a guy that was a retired Methodist preacher when I was 21 years of age, taking my first church, that spoke gentleness and prayer into me. There was Bill O'Quinn, who, at the age of 30, spoke uh, courage and and encouraged me to develop backbone. There was Freddie in the middle of my seminary years when I didn't have the money for new tires, put new tires on my car. There was Sue Fuller later in life in a time when I was going through a very time, a strong time of discouragement that spoke encouragement and belief into me. There have been all kinds of Barnabases in my life. I want to just invite you right now, call out some names. Call out some Barnabases in your, night, in, in your life. Just call them out. Name them. Name them by name. Call them out. I can't hear you. The saints, can they hear you? People have gone on in your life. People that have stepped into your life. People that you give thanks to God for. Call them out. Now, who has been Barnabas to you? And then the question is, to whom am I called to be a Barnabas? You know, there comes that point in our journey, does it not, when we get full, and our cup gets full, and we are spiritually full, and we are financially full, and we are rich in so many different ways. Our cup overflows, and we are now called to be a Barnabas for others. And this is when life and joy really becomes vibrant, that we begin to give it away, and we live in this way. Now let's go back to the scripture where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus says these words, does he not, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now let's go on to the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What in the world is Jesus getting at? You know, for the longest time, when he talks about the healthy eye and the unhealthy eye, the healthy eye being full of light, the unhealthy eye full of darkness, I never got it. Until I read James Bryan Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful God. And he says these words about what the eye meant in the days of Jesus. And here's what he says. The eye, that's not what James Bryan says. Yes. James Bryan Smith says this. In Jesus' day, unhealthy eye referred to a stingy, 
envious person, a jealous person, a person with a healthy, a clear eye, was generous. So today, the metaphor might change to tight-fisted or open-handed. And so am I a person in the midst of the way in which I have the treasures and the resources and the possessions, my time, my talent, my money, am I a person that is tight-fisted or am I open-handed? It's really the question that I hope you remember when you leave here today. About a month ago, we were in Ephesus, Turkey, about 20 of us that were privileged to go on retracing the steps of the Apostle Paul. And Ephesus is an incredible, incredible city. The ruins, uh, there's lots of stone, though, cobblestone. You're walking on the Roman road, the very place where Paul wrote, uh, walked. And you, you're going down the Colosseum, lots of steps. You're going up to these rich people's homes with mosaics of the first century. Incredible place to walk. And I'm a bus captain. And a bus captain is not all that it's cracked up to be. I was responsible for 42 people every day getting on the bus, making sure we didn't leave them somewhere. And so as I'm walking along the ruins, there's this one lady in our group, and she's in her 80s, and she's walking with a walking stick, and I'm always afraid she's going to fall. And she oftentimes is kind of delaying things. And so I would say to her, would you mind taking my arm? And she seldom did it. Well, she would take my arm in Ephesus, and wouldn't you know it, I started to stumble. <laughs> and she said, oh, you about fell down, didn't you? <laughs> this lady began to get kind of under my skin, just to be honest. And so at the end of a long day in Ephesus, she's wanting to buy this item at the museum. And she's, all she's got is American dollars. And they're not going to take American dollars, but they would take euros. And so Susan and I dug into our pockets, Susan in her pocket, I in my pocket, and paid for her item. Not because we were so generous. We just wanted to get her on the bus. <laughs> and she would say to me, well, how do I know who you are? How do, well, I'm your bus captain. You can pay me tomorrow. Several days went by, and she never paid. And I was beginning to wonder about this. I wonder if she's ever going to pay us back. And I felt the Holy Spirit just whisper to me, don't worry about it, Bob. And that same day, Susan and I are getting on this tugboat that takes us to the cruise from an island. And a lady that we don't even know calls Susan's name out. Susan, yes, I have a gift for you. And the woman overheard Susan and I talking that day. Boy, I really would like to buy a crash, Susan said. We never found one. This woman, complete stranger, still don't know who she is, just gives my wife a gift. No strings attached. And the very last day, the woman with a walking stick paid me back, full amount. And she said, I really appreciate you doing that. And I always knew when I was watching your orange shoes that I was walking in the right direction direction. And that whole story and that whole episode reminds me of something. That uh, that day I was walking, I was living with a tight fist. 
and not an open hand. And only God could orchestrate the episodes. When I was worried about giving money to somebody else that was a stranger, this stranger gives my wife a gift. And the woman shares appreciation to me. And it just makes me smile at the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the reminder to live life freely with open hands. There's some questions that um, come to us from crafting a rule of life that, I, that help me to wrestle with my relationship with money and treasure. Maybe they will help you. What material or financial resources or concerns have a grip on your soul and need to be held more loosely? What would you like to change about your current abilities? What would you like to change about your current abilities to steward your material and financial resources? As you reflect prayerfully on your material and your financial life, what do you sense the Lord is inviting you to adopt as a new or renewed practices? And in what ways do you desire more simplicity in your material and financial stewardship priorities? You know what, Schweitzer, there's a couple of things that we want you to know about that I think help us to do this. One of the things that we're really excited about the first of the year is that we're offering something new called Faith and Finances. And Faith and Finances is a, is a ministry, it's a program that's particularly designed for people who are living in poverty up to about middle income. You know, two-thirds of Americans today, and I suspect this is true in Springfield, are literally living from paycheck to paycheck. And Faith and Finances is helping people to get up on their financial feet to learn some skills, but it's all about relating faith to finances. In, in fact, the, this quote says it all, that just understanding that our money is God's money and he wants us to use it is powerful. So we're sending Brian Standage and Justin Setzer, two of our guys, a, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, that are financially savvy to be trained to bring this back to Schweitzer as this next step that God is leading us to, to help people put faith and finance together. But no matter who you are today, no matter what your economics are, all of us need to see the relationship between our faith and our finances. And so I want to talk today to three different groups of people that may be present in the room or watching. The first group I want to talk to are those who give nothing to God, who give nothing to the church, who give nothing to charity. I want to encourage you to begin the practice that when you're here to give something. It may be $5 in an offering bag. It may be $5 in a text or a kiosk. But to begin the practice of giving something back to God 
is a major step forward in your journey. Would you do that? Now, to those who give sporadically, you give when you feel like it or when there's some leftovers. Would you develop a consistent plan of giving? In two weeks, we have what's called Generosity Sunday. And there's a brochure that people in our church family will be receiving in the mail. And in that mailing, there's a card, Planned Giving. And very few things will revolutionize your spiritual life and your relationship with money more than developing a consistent plan of giving, whether it's weekly or monthly, to begin to get into that process of consistently giving something on a regular basis to God. Now, if you are thinking, the church only cares about my money, I want to say something very important to you. Please do not give anything at all. If you have the false narrative that this church only is concerned about the money we get from you, do not give us anything. Your money is no good here. But do address that toxicity in your heart and your spirit because your eye is full of darkness and it's a spiritual issue and address it. Address that first and foremost because more than anything, we care about your soul and we care about your spirit. But if you believe that the church is your family, and you believe what the church is about, and you believe what this church is doing here, then develop a consistent plan of giving and watch what God does with your finances and your heart. No, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying give 10 bucks and you're going to get 100 bucks back in the mail. But what I am saying is, when I give God my resources, I learn to trust him with it all. And it's amazing how God can do so many things with 90% of my income that God wasn't able to do when I was keeping it all to myself. And that's the third group I want to talk to. Maybe you've, you are a consistent giver, but you have never, ever tithed. That is, actually giving 10% of your income to God. I suggest that if you're close to that, and you can make those arrangements, to do that for 90 days and see what God does with your heart and with your finances. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. God is the treasure. And when God is the treasure, all these other things, our relationship with people and places and things, fall into place. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your words are ringing in our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is my heart today, Lord?
I submit to your loving embrace and your honest evaluation. Where the things of this world have a grip on my heart, would you release them? Where I value possessions more than I honor you, forgive me. I want my heart to treasure that which you treasure, Lord. Remind me that you're the center of my heart. And you're the lover of my soul. 